from the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Uh, welcome, I'm Robert Seidman, and uh, joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode is Jay Adande. Uh, last week, Jay announced he'd, uh, he'd be leaving ESPN after 10 years so he could focus uh, more exclusively on uh, being the director of sports journalism and an associate professor at Northwestern's Medial School. Professor Adande, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, first things first, over under five around the horn appearances in 2018. I'll say over. All right. Not I- up to me necessarily, but I, I, I don't think you've seen the last of me there. Okay, good. That that is uh that is good to know. So uh you you framed last week's announcement and I believe this is a direct quote as mainly I couldn't do two jobs at once. And I totally buy that. Uh but we are now kind of at the crossroads of uh some kind of crossroads in journalism, be it print, web, audio or T V and that is now intersected with white supremacists feeling comfortable to march in public. And I'm just wondering, is all of that mere coincidence, or did uh, the cur- current environment add some, holy crap, I have to do something, uh, fuel to the fire? Um, no, and remember, this this came uh, right before uh, the events in Charlottesville uh, over the weekend. Um, although I, I will say it, it, it's important to um, – you know, to, to, uh, empower and, and, and help out young people who have, you know, may, who are maybe scared and, and, uh, you know, journalism is under attack as well. So right. it's not just minorities and women who have been, uh, threatened by, by the, the current power structure and those who, uh, who enable them, but, uh, uh, you know, this profession is under attack and, um, you know, so it's very difficult. Um, it can be daunting, for particularly people of color uh, who want to go in this field. So now you're being attacked on two fronts, um, both who you are and uh, your chosen profession. So, um, you know, one thing I would like to do is, is try to help provide some confidence or instill some confidence uh, in these students that what they're doing is important and that, um, you know, and, and that th- there is support and there's a need for, for what they're doing. Right. Um and and it is important to to, to speak out on issues. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be one. In particular, as we've become more um, more commentary based, more analysis based. You know, even even a beat writer on a team is now expected to provide his opinion right. and his insight much more than when I started in the business. Um, so the totality of who you are informs and affects what you say. So. I can't divorce myself from my experiences um, and my background and my ethnicity and, and, and everything that comes with that, you know, that is going to affect my perspective. And, um, you know, if you're reading me, if you're listening to me, you, you know, you signed up for my perspective, right? And this is my perspective It's coming from a, you know, African-American man is mid forties from the LA area. Um, went to Northwestern who all, all those things, right. Um, you know, it's private school education. Um, you know, there's, it, 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 it's kind of difficult to put me in one singular box, but, um, you know, the totality of all these things and, um, you know, the increasing comfort as you get older and, um, you know, you can be comfortable with exactly who you are and, you know, I might not match up to the expectations of, of any single category. Um, but this is who I am. This, this is the package 
of me, and this is what informs and and dictates what I'm going to say and talk about. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask this later, but I think it makes sense here. Uh, You know, a lot of your uh, media brethren uh, like to shine a bright light, at least on Twitter, about uh, how uh, how to life raises about how lunkheaded uh, some of their Twitter followers are. And observationally, uh, you don't take that tack. Uh, but I, but I do see that you'll mix it up uh, with some of your peers on on sensitive topics. Do, do you have a, a sort of a, a of a of a way you go about doing Twitter, or are you you open to the whole thing? Well, partly I'd, I'd prefer to engage in discussions with people who actually know, or you know, people that I can see who they are. Yep. Um, you know, I'm 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 not. A, well, I guess they don't have the eggs anymore. But you know, in the egg era of Twitter, you know, my my thing is if you can't even care enough, or or if you don't, uh, you know, have the pride. To at least put your your face up there to identify yourself, you know you're, you're not worth my my attention. I always say nothing is more worthless than an anonymous opinion. Oh, oh you know, wow. it's real easy to sit. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm that's sensitive. A, I'm sensitive only because I you know I launched uh, at Sports TV Ratings mostly anonymously, and I, I use Bruce Bochy's picture instead of my own. Uh, uh, but, so, but but I but hear also, what you're saying. But 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 here's the thing: you don't use your account to to necessarily criticize individuals you know like i I, from what i've seen i I don't think that's a real um staple of your account i mean some people launch anonymous accounts for that express purpose right so that they can attack people anonymously i mean uh for you uh you know it's it's not as if you're you're just hiding behind anonymity so you can attack people you know for whatever reason you chose your anonymity on twitter um for that profile but um uh it's I, I can deal with that if it's not, um, you know, if, and, and, and you're still mostly uh, based on facts. You know, United Conjecture, I mean, the reason I followed you is, is because of the information. You know, like you're providing information, um, you know, so you're, you're providing anonymous information. And I make that distinction, you know, when reporting, um, I always drew that line. Like, yeah, you can provide anonymous information. I'll let you go anonymous if you're giving me information you know, contract status or a trade rumor or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's it, almost the de facto way it works now, particularly in NBA coverage, but I won't let you have anonymity as a source. If you're going to criticize somebody, now, you know, that, I'll, I'll never let you take on somebody's character anonymously. You got to put your name to it. Um, but you can give me anonymous information. You just can't give me anonymous opinion. You can't give me anonymous, especially criticism of somebody. Yeah, I'm happy to put my name on stuff. I, I mostly don't just just don't put my picture up because I like you guys, and uh, I, don't, I don't want to ruin your. Uh, <laughs> you want to your, subject us to that? Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, um, you know, I view you as part of the of what I would call a, maybe a bridge gapping journalist generation. Uh, you came up kind of in the old school, and uh, from from my view, you got to do plenty of uh, old school reps. Uh, but but the world changed while you know, kind of you're in the middle of your career. And uh, on the surface, at least, you seem to navigate those changes very well. But but how much harder do you you think this landscape is, uh, you know, uh, now versus when you were first coming out of Medeal? Well, it's, it's harder mainly because um, the the opportunities to get paid to do this at an entry level seem much more difficult. Um, but, you know, I just came back to the National Association of Black Journalists convention and our outgoing sports task force president mark spears of the undefeated said uh you know we had our meeting on saturday and he said that there's a lot of job opportunities it seems like it's better right now uh, particularly the athletic as they're trying to assert themselves and making a lot of hires but um we've seen col- 
columnist hires. He did the Buffalo News has hired Kimberly Martin as a columnist, making her the only black sports female columnist in the country. Um, uh, black female sports columnist, I should say. Uh, so there's opportunity, but what's valued right now is expertise. You know, the athletic, their whole game plan is we're going to take experts and people who are well-known in these markets, we're going to bring them over to us, and that will make people willing to, you know, pay a subscription fee. Um, but they, they don't have an avenue. They don't have a house right now for, you know, the kid to start off and cover high school sports or small colleges and, and for him or her to, to work his way up or her way up. Um, you know, that, that's the concern. That's the fear I have right now, uh, for the students who are, who are graduating and trying to come into the field. And, and that's what I had, you know, that I would tell people my path doesn't exist anymore because you're not going to work at a newspaper's for 10 to 15 years right. uh, you, and you're not going to get paid. I would say the good news is that there's no barrier to being published. So I used to say the hard part was getting published or getting on air. Right. And now anybody can do that with a Twitter account or a YouTube account. You can, you can get your work quote unquote published online. You can, you can be on TV, on screen, on camera presence um, with nothing, with an iPhone and a YouTube account. Right. Go, go ahead. But how can you get paid to do so? That's the big challenge. And that's, that's what's a lot different from what I came up. And also, uh, real quick, I don't think they're going to have the opportunity to travel and experience the variety of things. I think I was really the last sports columnist to come up in the era when, you know, the big city newspaper sports sections would send their columnists all over the place, the Wimbledon or the Indy 500 or Final Four or Super Bowl. All those things I got to cover, all those things that I believe bring uh, value so I broadcast when I'm on around the horn because I, I have some perspective. I have the perspective of somebody who's, you know, been in this business for 25 years and experienced a wide variety of things and, and can make these comparisons and put things into context. These, these uh, younger journalists coming up aren't going to get that opportunity to to experience things firsthand. Right. You know, you told I think it was the big lead uh, that, that you're emotionally ready to move on from uh, from TV and uh, dedicate yourself to something else. Uh, but from the outside looking in, it looked like. Uh, a, you had a really fun gig, uh, both on you know some of your your studio stuff and the and the sideline stuff with the NBA, uh, and uh, you know Mark Cuban has been quoted as saying something like, uh, "People don't quit stuff they're good at," but you were good at it, J.A. So I'm just curious, can can you put into <laughs> words, you know, your passion around the Northwestern gig that would really motivate you to uh, to at least for now leave TV behind and journalism at, on the front end. You know, I, I, I took this on. Well, for one thing, I, I maybe I hit the ceiling. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much further I could go, um, and I'm not sure how much, how many new experiences I could have. Um, you know, and and then it, it, it gets harder as as you get up into the rarefied air yep. to to really break through and to to work an NBA Finals game. I'm mean, going to think that that Craig Sager, who is at the top of his field. Um, you know, and, and is synonymous when you think of sideline reporters, you think of Craig Sager yep. and um, he never had the chance to work an NBA finals game until last year. Yeah. Uh, I think it was on Richard Deitch's podcast. He was talking with Kevin Harlan about how Kevin Harlan, as great as he is at, you know, calling basketball games, hasn't done the final four on TV, hasn't done, you know, the NBA finals on TV, doesn't even get to do the conference finals on TV. Um, you know, so it gets, it gets harder to get to that stage um, you know, we, I mean, look at our A crew, um, you know, I don't know where there's room for me to work the finals, for example, or, or the gotcha. conference finals. I usually got to the second round and, and maybe I could have, you know, staying through it. Um, 
But the fact is, I did. I've, I've worked NBA games. I've, I've, you know, interviewed Steph Curry, LeBron James on camera after games on the court. You know, that that adrenaline that that comes with that um, from being in the game. Um, and I talked about this with some friends last week about how um, when you're doing this, you're you're in the game. You're in the NBA. And, and I realized that this last year. You know, I've, I've I haven't been, been covering the NBA. I've I've been in the NBA. You know, I've, I've been behind the scenes. I've been in the locker rooms. Um, you know, I've been on the practice courts and, and then doing sidelines these last few years, you're on the court. Like that's as close as I'll ever come to fulfilling my, my third and fourth grade dreams of being an NBA player. You know, I mean, I didn't put on a uniform and play, but I was on the court, you know, during the course of an NBA game. So that was pretty cool. So I'd done it, you know, I, I can, I can walk away saying I did it. Um, you know, so sometimes it's not as important to continue to do it as it is to just, be able to say that I did it. You can't keep doing everything forever. Yep that that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I think when I, I first contacted you, uh, I told you the uh, I told you the story like I, I, a year or two ago. I heard uh, Dan Patrick on his uh, radio show talking about just the just the power of having been at ESPN. Where ten years after the fact, uh, you know he's still getting stopped and, and and people are thanking him for his his work on uh, on ESPN. And uh, you, you, I remember you saying that uh, that that notion resonated with you. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? It does, and this goes back all the way to uh, the early 2000s when I was considering leaving the LA Times for an opportunity to actually go back to the Washington Post, but I would able to be able to stay in LA. Um, so it, it was intriguing, um, and in the course of, of making up my mind, I talked to Ralph Wiley, the great Ralph Wiley, now the late Ralph Wiley, and he said, you know, in a place like the LA Times, it never leaves you. You know, and, and he spoke from experience that he'd been gone from Sports Illustrated for several years, but people still identified him as being with Sports Illustrated. And, um, you know, that, that stuck with me. And I've experienced the last 10 years, even while at ESPN, so many people here in L.A. still identify with me at the L.A. Times. Like, I, even in the past year, you know, I left the L.A. Times in 07. People still say, oh, man, I miss reading you at the L.A. Times. Or some of them even, you know, still think I work at the LA times. Like, right. you know, they, it didn't dawn on them that I no longer work there. That's how strong that association is. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, for years and years and years, people are going to see me and say, Hey, ESPN. Um, you know, so, uh, Ralph told me about it way back when, and I've certainly experienced it. And, and I know I'll always be associated. You know, I see Rich Eisen who's gone on to great success running NFL network, but I don't think anybody and see him and not think about his days, particularly with Stuart Scott yeah. doing Sports Center, you know, and and he's happy and he's moved on and, and he's in a great place. Um, but he'll always be associated with ESPN. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was curious for you because, you know, you have um, I, many, many, many reps over the years. I mean, you know, going, it's, it's 15 years now uh, of doing around the horn appearances. Um, but, but then you're also on, you know, some pretty big stage NBA games that, you know, get, get millions and millions of viewers looking in, um, you know, in your, in your ESPN days, what were you, what were you most recognized for in, in your estimation based on the people stopping you? Oh, it was, it was definitely around the horn or although 90% of the time they say, Hey, I see you on PTI. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how people can't tell the difference. Um, but I, I, I mean, it, it, it speaks to the power and the, the effectiveness of pardon interruption. But I mean, I, I get that all the time. Oh man, PTI, right? Hey, PTI. <laughs> um, and I, I just don't even bother to, to correct them anymore. No, my show is around the horn. But I also have been on PTI and probably, you know, just 
I've done, I don't know, maybe a dozen PTIs, 15. And so literally those 15 PTIs can resonate maybe more than over a thousand around the horn. Um, but go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Oh, no, I I was, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's the most, but the, the one thing I would notice is that when I did sidelines in the game, you maybe only see me for 30 seconds. If that my face is on screen when I'm doing a a game, but you know, if it's a warrior's game, it's probably two and a half million people watching. Right. And I would notice just friends of mine, acquaintances who weren't necessarily the biggest sports fans, you know, I'd I'd pop up during a game and they see me in text. Oh, take a picture of the screen. Hey, I see you on TV. And that didn't always necessarily happen with around the horn. Uh, that's interesting. Can, you know, from from your point of view, did did uh, did, did uh, your pe- people's familiarity with you on around the horn did that did that make the your other work any easier, any harder, or or no difference? At absolutely, all? absolutely. Um, I tell people that's one of the biggest benefits is that I could walk into a locker room and players know me. And the younger players come in the league now, maybe they've been watching me on TV for ten years, and there's this familiarity and. Um, you know, we gravitate towards people that we think we know. Yep. And, uh, you know, they don't know me. They've never met me before, but they've seen me on TV and they're already, you know, a little more receptive to talking to me or, or to, to sharing information with me. Um, and the good thing is, it's, you know, not just the players, it's the trainers, it's the assistant coaches, all the people that you need to talk to to have a better grasp of what's going on. Um, I don't really need to spend much time introducing myself because they know who I am. So that was a tremendous asset, um, yeah. you know, and even when I was at, at the LA Times, so it wasn't all, you know, vertical from for the same news organization, but being on TV benefited me as an LA Times sports columnist, um, you know, but it was difficult because you're, you're splitting your attention, um, but it, it still, it helps. Like that, having that television presence absolutely helps you as a journalist because, you um, you know, the whole key is getting people to talk to you, and that familiarity makes people more willing to talk to you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because of, of all of my focus on ratings, and, and by the way, one of the reasons I'm I'm I am selfishly upset that you're you're leaving the media is I, I feel like you're one of the the people who who really really gets the ratings. But uh, for for all my focus on ratings, you know, one thing we don't talk about with shows like Around the Horn and, and PTI and First Take is the you know is that the athletes and the, the people behind the scenes people and for for pro teams really watch those shows quite a bit. Yeah, it was weird. One time I was in uh, Charlotte at the I guess there's still the Bobcats at the time, and uh, I was I was doing a story and I was in their front office uh, interviewing some of the the executives on the team and I walk out and they're in the reception lobby. Uh, you know, they've got a TV on there's around the horn is on, you know, obviously I wasn't on the show that day, but my show was on. You realize, you know, this show is on screen in their offices many days. You know, I mean, I, I get texts from, you know, people in the NBA sometimes if I say something or, um, you know, if they, if they caught me on it's not, and those are the difference. So, so my friends and associates and acquaintances would just be like, Oh, I saw you. You know, but the people in the league are reacting to what you say. Um, you know, it's actually it's like, oh, man, that was a good point that you made today, something like that. Um, so you realize that it's, it's on in the clubhouse. You know, if you go in a baseball clubhouse or if you go in the locker room, I mean, you know, what athletes do? They sit around and watch ESPN. That's the funny, funny thing. I think our probably our largest constituency was the NBA officials. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, they're sitting around in their hotel in the afternoon and, and they're on the treadmill. So, um, but, but that was something that helped. And, you know, again, it all came around. So 
um, you know, every game I worked, I'd make sure to go up and talk to the officials before the game just to make sure, you know, to say, hey, I'm here. And just in case something happened, you know, I, I was, my joke is a pretty lame joke, but I said, I hope I don't have to talk to you again the rest of the night. <laughs> Nothing personal. But, you know, if, if there was something that needed clarification or if I, if I needed an explanation on something, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I'd have that, um, that access. And when I walk up to them, mostly say, Hey, Hey Jay, what's going on? You know, they, they watch me because they're, they're sitting around, you know, they spend so much time on the road and they're either in the rooms or the, the exercise room watching ESPN. So, so that helped, you know, and, and, and in, tra- in uh, you know, in the translation or it, it helps the, the viewers too, you know, because I'm able to get information from them, a little bit of an explanation, and then I can pass it on to the viewers. And it, it only came into play a couple of times. You know, usually I just kind of joke around with them before the game. But there were a couple of times when, when things happened with the officials and, and I was able to provide a, a little bit more information and, and background and insight um, because of this quote-unquote relationship I have with them from, from them watching me on TV. Right. So I'm really curious at at Medeal this uh, this coming school year. Uh, will Will you be teaching more classes than you did last year? I will, and in part because I started earlier. So I, I started. You know, my official start date was last year, September first, and it was too late to to get anything in for the the fall wow. quarter. So I didn't teach in the fall, although I was still incredibly busy. It seemed like <laughs> even without having a class. So I taught uh, one class in the winter, one class in the spring. Uh, this year I'll be teaching in the fall, undergraduate class. I'll be teaching a graduate class in the winter and then a uh, spring or a class. It, it straddles spring break. So it starts at the last half of the winter quarter and goes into spring quarter. That'll be an undergraduate class. I'll teach another graduate class in the spring. Um, so, yeah, I'll be teaching more. But mainly I'll, I'll be around more. And I think that was the biggest issue is I, I was gone so much for my ESPN duties. Um you know, there, there's something to be said about just being around, being available for the students, um, being available for my fellow faculty members so we can meet and plan and strategize. Um, you know, it, it was just hard not being physically there. That, that was the biggest the biggest thing. And, and having the time. Yeah, you know, so my, I'd wake up in the morning and have so many different things to do. What, what, what's the, uh, the current enrollment size at Medeal? Um, well, it's what I'm concerned, the sports specialization program for the grad students, that, that's my main focus right now is trying to build that up. And, and then we'll, we'll go through the, uh, the uh, undergraduate programs and, and build those up. But, uh, you know, we've got 28 in the incoming class, the last numbers I saw, um, who were sports specialization uh, majors, I guess you could say, <laughs> in the grad school. Um, undergrad, let's see, I think it's probably similar to another. There's about 150, you know, Medill students per class. I, I think the numbers are, are similar. Um, so it's not a lot, but it's interesting. Okay. Then, then you get to the end of the year and you're thinking, okay, you know, 28 people are looking for jobs, you know, in addition yeah. to the undergraduates, you know, there's maybe, you know, we've got 25, maybe 30, maybe not that many per, per class in the undergrads, but you know, we've got a good number, maybe a dozen to 20 people, undergraduates who are looking for jobs, you know, and then I was just at the NABJ convention and all the people down there are looking for jobs. Yeah. And you think of all the schools, around the country looking for jobs. So um, it's it's small numbers, but it's large when you think of trying to place all these people. Um, you know, they all have their dreams. And that's one of the reasons I like doing this because it's very fulfilling to me when I see people um, that were once my students that were once eager and young and hungry and starting off and they're getting the chance to do what they want. You know, Jonathan Abrams, who when I was at USC, he didn't take my class, um, 
but, uh, um, you know, he was around. I remember when he was starting off and look at all the great things he accomplished at the LA times and New York times and, and, uh, Grantland, you know, and, and a couple of books that he's worked on. Um, you know, that, that makes me happy. Um, you know, a couple of my students, Law Murray and, uh, Jovan have worked at, uh, ESPN.com. They, they were in my class at USC. You know, it was right. funny. Some of my former students actually now handle my copy <laughs> at ESPN.com. Um, but I, I, but you know, like, again, like, like I told you earlier, I've, I've, I've done everything. I've, I've, I've been to every event, you know, I've, I've experienced everything I set out to do and more. Um, in this business and now um, to, to be able to play a small role and other people getting a chance to, to do it for themselves um, you know that's that's more fulfilling for me than going to I've been to 20 NBA, NBA finals you know I'll be okay if I don't go to 21 22 23 but you know for some of them just going to one yeah um, it, it's funny uh, we're, we're doing a thing with our grad students next year we're going taking them to all-star weekend in LA and uh, I was telling some of my current students who they got to go to the Super Bowl. You know, some of them this year got to go to the Super Bowl right. or um, they got to go to New York and go to the offices of, uh, you know, the bleach report to ESPN. And they were saying, oh, man, I would love to go. And man, man All-Star Weekend, blah, blah, blah. Because um, they'd never been to one All-Star game, you know. So, like, that that's like a, a dream or a goal of theirs. Um, so just helping people just to experience that once or the baseball All-Star game or – um, you know, if we can help facilitate those things, then then that makes me happy. I'm, I don't need to do it anymore myself. I've I've done plenty. I've, I'm kind of cynical and just I get there and I just want them to be over now. So, you know, ra- I'd rather why not use my space on someone who is absolutely thrilled to be there. Yeah, that that uh, that definitely uh, that sounds fulfilling. OK, I'm going to get you out of here with an around the horn question. So, I, you know, I, I, I watched I still watch regularly and I, I probably went 10 years without ever missing an episode. And uh, I did get the idea that the uh, Adonde Lounge got shut down. But if there was ever any uh, on-air backstory about it, I missed it. What happened? <laughs> it was so funny. It became such a big thing out of nowhere. So, you know, they, they play that kind of cheesy music yep. in the background <laughs> when, uh, when you win and you're doing your FaceTime. And so I heard the music in my ear one time, and it, it just it sounded loungy. And so I just say, hey, welcome to the Jay Adonde Lounge. And uh, it just kind of hit. And then I started, uh, I started adding the VIP list from, from the VIP list basically <laughs> consisted of um, if you were famous and you kind of acknowledged me, um, you know, I'd, I'd throw you in the lounge, you know, like, you know, George Lopez was, was the guy that came up to us on with the Laker game or, uh, you know, a variety of people, you know, the celebrities or players, whatever. It's kind of basically if, if you showed me some love, you know, I'd, I'd show you some love in the lounge. Um, I think I let a couple people in who, who wrote in, um, special circumstances. Um, but you know, it, it was just a fictitious place and it, it just really took off. And, and I think it's important for everyone to develop some type of, some way you can be identified, you know, yeah. and that's how I became identified. And, um, you know, but Monty Jones had his, his belt for a while as his wrestling belt. Um, you know, Woody, of course, always had his chalkboard. Um, you know, you, you need something, some type of identity, something to be known for. And for me, it became that. And then after a while, it was just hard to keep up. And, and that's part of it. You want to change. You want to evolve. You don't want to be known for the same thing and keep doing the same thing over and over again. So I just kind of did a soft retirement. I might have brought it out once or twice. Uh, maybe I'll bring it back if, if I'm ever back on the show. But um, it, it was fun. It was, and I, I'm just happy that, that people identify with it and, and, you know, really seem to like it. 
and uh, it just came out of the blue. It just popped in my head one day. Uh, you know, no greater backstory to it than that. It wasn't planned. Um, it wasn't well thought out. Uh, it just, you know, popped in my head, and I spit it out of my mouth, and uh, the J.A. Donde Lounge was born. Yeah, I am in the uh, I am in the lounge fan club, uh, so I, I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. Hey, JA, thank you uh, so much uh, for joining the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for the opportunity and the platform. I appreciate it. Robert. All right. Thanks again to Jay Adande for joining the podcast. I am wishing Jay much success as he focuses on his medial duties. And uh, you can, of, of course, follow Jay on Twitter at uh, Jay Adande, J-A-D-A-N-D-E. And uh, recent podcast guests include the big leads, Ryan Glassbeagle, advertising agents, Anthony Krupe, a uh, sports media roundtable with uh, Sports Illustrated's Richard Deitch and uh, activist investor Eric Jackson. And you can find them all on Apple or Google uh, by searching on at Sports TV Ratings or on SportsTVRatings.com. Alexa. Please play the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Richard Bench. Music by R-U-B-I-O isn't included with Prime, but is available with Amazon Music Unlimited.